A few weeks ago, I used my opening take to offer a mea culpa on Trey Norwood. I was outwardly skeptical of his ability to contribute throughout his OU career, and I thought his early NFL success as well as OU secondary struggling in his absence was all I needed to see to admit that I was wrong. Well, earlier this year in the summer, around the time of fall camp, I made a comment about the Sooners having to replace Creed Humphrey on the offensive line. Summed up, I wasn't particularly worried about it. While I thought that Creed was a great player, I never noticed him dominating all that much or showing off that athleticism that you always heard the coaching staff rave about. Well, judging by OU's struggles in the interior of their offensive line in 2021 and Creed Humphrey taking the NFL by storm in the first half of his rookie season, I am comfortable with admitting that I was dead wrong on that take. It just wasn't correct at all. Creed was recently named to Pro Football Focus's mid-year All-Pro team. Not just the all-rookie team, PFF thinks he's the best center in the NFL, right now. Through eight games, he had only allowed seven pressures on over 400 pass block attempts. He also has the second highest run block grade in all of the NFL, only behind former OU All-American Trent Williams. Creed's success certainly makes it reasonable to question why we never saw this level of dominance at OU. Was I just blind to it? Or is there another legitimate reason I'm just not seeing also, congratulations to Ramondre Stevenson for obviously being a thing and being very good. Ramondre's emergence in the second half of last season coincided perfectly with OU's offense playing better during that season. At this point, it does appear that the only two graduations from the 2020 offense had a profoundly negative impact on the 2021 squad. Simply put, that's really disappointing. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Purdy, can he rescue this? Purdy lofts it up. Jump ball, and it is intercepted by Trey Brown. Another huge play by the senior from Tulsa. Trey Brown welcomes us into another edition of West of Everest. That interception sealed OU's win over Iowa State in last season's Big 12 championship game. The Sooners got their revenge on the Cyclones after Iowa State beat OU in Ames earlier in the season. Of course, that October 2020 loss to Iowa State was the Sooners' last loss before Saturday's defeat at Baylor. Hey everybody, I am Lee Benson. As we get closer and closer to the end of the college football season, which is always a bittersweet time, I want to take this opportunity to ask all of you who are listening to the show to leave us a rating and or a review if you're enjoying what you're listening to here on the West of Everest podcast. We always appreciate the feedback, and also we've been told that it helps other Oklahoma fans find the podcast if there's more ratings and there's more positive reviews. This is the fifth football season that the West of Everest podcast has been around, and it's cool to think back to... The fact that this show has grown so much since our first episode, uh, which was in August of 2017, August of 2017, it really wasn't all that long ago, but I guess it does seem like a long time ago. And it's all thanks to all of you listening for all of this growth and this success, because if nobody listened to the show, then Grant and I would have canceled it years ago. And that is the truth. (laughs) So speaking of Grant, let's bring him back in after that opening take. Grant, what's going on today? Nothing much, just uh, just fielding offers from other podcasts, from other programs, and uh, 
I don't know. I I mean, you guys know how I feel about this place, and I know we've been through this a lot, but uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, okay. This is breaking news to me. Should I be prepared to match any sort of offers that you're going to get? I mean, you better, because otherwise I don't know why I would stay here. <laughs> I don't know why. You don't know why you would stick around. It's just, eh, grass is always greener. <laughs> yeah, it, it would make... Uh, of of course, yes. Going to a different podcast would make all of the sense in the world and wouldn't be confusing whatsoever. Uh, does Texas need some podcast hosts? The Texas fan podcast? You down for that? Uh, I don't know, man. There's some uh, there there's some some guys who've been pretty aggressive. Who uh, I don't know. They they live in this kind of this this backwater city in Louisiana called Baton Rouge, and they've been. I, they're offering me just a boatload of money, and I it's it's well, weird, but okay. I mean I have to listen. It's a okay. lot of money. Okay, okay, this is just the shtick is just through the roof with you today. So yeah, uh, okay, let's just do this out of the gate. We got to address the story uh, about apparently Grant and Lincoln Riley uh, being a candidate for for vacant jobs for for vacant LSU jobs, whether it be podcasting or head coaching. So we'll deal with your vacant uh, podcast jobs later. But first, let's go with the Lincoln-Riley stuff. And this is one of those stories that we have not discussed on this show at all. And I'll be honest, I didn't even know this was a thing for the most part until maybe three or four days ago. I don't check message boards. I I don't do deep rumor Twitter. Uh, But on Tuesday, I saw that Tom Luganbill from ESPN said on a radio show, or maybe it was a podcast, or maybe it was both of those things. I don't know. He said, quote, there's something going on at Oklahoma right now, and I would not be surprised one bit if the next LSU coach is Lincoln Riley, end quote. And I think he kind of walked it back a bit on Twitter on Tuesday, but he did put it out there. Luganville did put that out there, and I've heard that there were rumors last week about Lincoln Riley being a candidate as well, so... At his press conference on Tuesday, Lincoln was immediately asked by Ryan Aber at the Oklahoman if Lincoln has had contacts with LSU or if his representation has had contacts with LSU and also how Lincoln Riley is handling all of the speculation. Here is what Riley said to Ryan Aber's question. It's nothing to handle, you know. I mean, it's it's pretty easy, you know. I coach... Uh, the University of Oklahoma football team, and you guys know me. You know how I feel about this place and this program. So I, we've, we've all been down this road many times before. You, you guys know where I stand on that, and that hadn't changed. So that was Lincoln Riley basically saying, come on, man, I'm at Oklahoma. We've talked about this before, and my thoughts have not changed. So, all right, so, so let's add more to this story, though. I saw today, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, eh, Wednesday early evening. And a guy named Jake Crane, who hosts the J-Boy Show, which is part of Colin Cowherd's podcast network, The Volume, this guy reported that a source that he trusts told him that LSU offered Riley an eight-year, $96 million contract. All right, what does that mean? Well, I believe that would make Lincoln Riley the highest-paid coach in college football. That would be $12 million per season. And according to USA Today... Nick Saban gets paid just short of $10 million per year. And Saban's been the highest paid coach in the sport for years. Now, for some context, last year, Riley agreed to a six-year, 
$45 million contract at Oklahoma. So if that report is correct, Riley could almost double his current salary and he would become the highest paid coach in college football. So my first thought was, okay, who is this Jake Crane guy? I've never heard of him. I looked it up. He's a former college football coach. He coached at South Alabama. Uh, He's from Alabama, and he mostly covers the SEC. And I saw, I believe, his his dad used to play at Alabama, and his dad was also a South Alabama coach, so he's got a football background. He's a coach's son. So, you know, it's not out of the question that this guy has some good sources, especially around the SEC, because that's his – his footprint, that's what he covers most. And uh, I, I would guess that's his, his expertise is the SEC. So uh, given all of that, and I must add this because this is kind of uh, breaking in the last 20, 30 minutes since we started recording. It's not breaking by the time you listen to it. I saw a tweet from Bruce Feldman on Twitter, a, tw- a tweet on Twitter, and Bruce Feldman tweeted out, Quote, lots of chatter about Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma for LSU, but am hearing that is not going to happen in quote in tweet. So that's from Bruce Feldman. So that's all the stuff that I know right now. That's that's all the information out there about this whole Lincoln Riley LSU thing. And so Grant, given everything that we know, should we be preparing ourselves for Lincoln Riley departing Oklahoma for LSU I'll be totally honest with you until uh until the Bruce Feldman tweet my uh my alarm bells were kind of going off a little bit and uh and from what I gathered um after that press conference yesterday with Lincoln Riley I'm kind of in the minority with this take but his his answer to Ryan Aber's question was concerning to me actually because it was a non-denial he never said that he wasn't a candidate at LSU um and so, like, I, and like I, I told you, it's like, yeah, maybe I spend way too much time following politics and whatnot, and I just sort of see through that stuff, and I'm, I'm looking at just kind of ulterior motives anytime anyone's talking like that. Um, but no, I mean, it's the, I, you know, for the last 24 hours or so, my, yeah, my, my alarm bells had kind of been going off, not to the point of panic or anything like that, mostly just confusion and trying to figure out, you know, if this is a thing, why, why would it be a thing? Um, the Bruce Feldman tweet makes, makes me calm down considerably. Uh, Bruce Feldman is the, he is, I can tell you, he's, he's the preeminent college football reporter. He's got, he's got better sources than anybody in, in the business. Um, and if he's saying that it's not going to happen, then that's, that's probably very much correct. But I don't know. And any, any time that rumors like this come up, it's always, you know, I mean, this, Lincoln Riley was was kind of right, at least in part of that answer, where he's, "Hey, we've been through this before, and this is, and, you know, I mean, this was all. This was. It seems like this was a an every three or four year thing with Bob Stoops as well when he was here. Um, but yeah, I mean, when that when that Jake Crane guy when he came out today on Wednesday and he said he gave those numbers, which would, I mean, that's those are absurd numbers. Um, that's that's kind of when I start to think, well, crap. I mean, that's a when you're going to be paid over, you know. $11 million a year making you the highest paid, then yeah, I mean, that'd be one thing that would probably make him listen. Um, but really, while these while these rumors have been going on, the entire time I've been thinking to myself is just like, why would Lincoln Riley do this? I mean, it didn't, it didn't, it re- outside of just, of just hard dollars and cents, it didn't make a lick of sense, like at all. It didn't make any sense whatsoever, unless, unless Lincoln Riley is looking at it like, sheesh, LSU, I mean, you could roll out of bed and win a national title there, unless the, like unless that's what the 
what the logic would be. So also part of that report by that Jake Crane, the, the J-Boy show, uh, part of his report was also that his source was telling him that it wasn't likely that Oklahoma would match that contract offer by LSU. And uh, that, that was another thing of like, okay, the, the, the dollars and cents. And Sorry, I was going to say, and that would be, something? and that was the, when, when Jake Crane was talking, that was the big red flag in what, what he was reporting. Cause one, how would he know that? Um, how would his L, presumably LSU sources know that of what, you know, what OU would match and what they wouldn't. Um, and then also it raises the question, you know, let's just, let's say this is, this is true. And that's on the table. Why wouldn't OU match that? That'd make any sense. OU is a richer athletic department than LSU. That'd make any sense to they, me at all. Uh, are you sure about that? Pretty sure about that. You should look that up because I, I don't know if that's true. Because my thought was, based off of that report, I, like, it makes me think that LSU's got a lot more money than OU that they're going to throw that around. Because, because I mean, Alabama's not even paying Nick Saban that kind of money. Yeah, but also, and, and so that's that's kind of like, sure. I, yeah. I think really important context here with that number today too is 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 the the contract that Mel Tucker just signed at Michigan State. I mean, that's Mel Tucker. I think. Is he, he just signed a I believe a ten year ninety five million dollar deal, which makes him gives him nine point five million dollars a year. I think Mel Tucker is the second highest paid coach in college football now. Now that's not official. That those are those are the reports. So he hasn't officially signed it. Uh, but yeah, so I'm I'm seeing they're set to give him a ten year ninety five million dollar deal. So that would be you know nine and a half million dollars per year, which is still a little bit short of Nick Saban. Is making, but yeah, it's. But the context uh, there is, and the, I mean, this is not this. I'm pulling this from other people. I, I know Stu Mandel kind of commented on this and said, you know, this is that number for Mel Tucker is reflective of what a lot of people are saying. Like the next Big Ten TV contract is going to be extremely rich uh, because the Big Ten, Big Ten's got a lot of uh, large populations in that blueprint. And I mean, if you look at any of the TV ratings this year, Big Ten teams are, are generating a lot of eyeballs. Uh, this year and so I think that's a reflection Michigan State ponying up that money of how much extra money is about to flow into Big Ten uh, football programs and you're talking about the new Big Ten football contract or TV football contract which is going to be really rich obviously one an SEC contract with OU and Texas in it is going to be worth more money than that Um, so like it's and so I I just OU is about to is about to have that sweet sweet SEC money and so, like, why wouldn't they match yeah. that? Because I'm telling you right now, that the fact that Mel Tucker, if if that you know, if if that reporting is accurate about him, you know, being nine and a half million dollars a year, I can assure you that Nick Saban will be making more, a lot more money here pretty soon. And and then yeah, and then no, that, and the dominoes really good, will fall. You know, that's a really good point you bring up with the the TV contracts and the deals, and Oklahoma will be coming into more and more money here soon with the SEC. That's that's a great point. And uh, God, I had something else here that I wanted to bring up. Um, uh, no, oh, no, no, it was a dumb joke. I'll, I'll, maybe if it comes back organically, I'll, I'll make it, but it doesn't make sense right now. Um, but yeah, so, so it wasn't, so I wasn't thinking a whole lot of this story because my whole thought is like, I think you were kind of covering this. You didn't say it explicitly, but you said it didn't make any sense, a lick of sense for Riley to, to go to LSU. And my thought is, I mean, OU to LSU, Riley going to a different college job. I don't get it. That doesn't make sense. I it just I know that LSU has won more national championships recently than Oklahoma. Like a lot more. Uh, I get that part of it. 
But, I mean, it, it just still, like, when you're Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma's still near the top of college football and blue blood programs. Like, what do you... Uh, you would assume that money would be similar. I guess in this case, if that report is correct, though, about what LSU's got on the table for Lincoln Riley, money is not similar. Money's a lot more. But to your point a moment ago, why wouldn't OU come back and, and it, it, you know, if not match that, at least give them a raise? And my kind of whole thought about this whole thing to the end of it is that is probably likely what's going to happen anyways. OU, especially after that Feldman tweet, that Feldman tweet definitely calms the waters a bit. OU's going to give them a raise. They're, they're going to have to now. If, if if that dollar figure is true and Lincoln Riley's got an agent, his agent's like, hey, listen, man. Yeah, and if Mel, my if, guy, like, if Mel Tucker's making $9.5 million a year, a lot of people are about to get raises. Lincoln's going to get a raise. Dabo's going to yeah. get a raise. They're all going to get a raise. So, yeah, I, I think we're both on the same page here. The Bruce Feldman tweet definitely helps out. I was prepared to play a game of let's be in Lincoln Riley's shoes and decide pros and cons of this. But does that, does that even sound fun anymore if, if, if it looks like he's de- like the Feldman tweet? Or do you want to play that game? I mean, yeah, I mean, we can, we can look at it. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of fun. So I have a pros and cons list, and they're going to be similar to yours, but maybe I'm missing something. So I'm going to give you my pros and cons. And if I'm missing any, any pro or if I'm missing any con, let me know. So let's play a game. So let's imagine we're Lincoln Riley right now, and that report is true. And obviously, he's not going to be talking with them. He's got an agent. His agent's going to be doing all the stuff behind the scenes. That's, that's how the stuff works. And Lincoln Riley's agent's going to call him and say, hey, here's, here's this contract on the table. And let's say that Lincoln Riley's agent has called him and said, hey, LSU is prepared to offer you eight years, $96 million. It's going to make you the highest paid coach in college football, and you're going to make uh, you know, five five million dollars more per year than you are right now at Oklahoma all right so you could that's on the table you can go to LSU you're Lincoln Riley you hang up the phone you think man I gotta make a pros and cons list all right pro you become the highest paid coach in college football you're basically making a hundred million dollars over the next eight years and there's no doubt that he'd have some sort of insane buyout so even if he fails at LSU after a couple of years or four years they're going to have to pay him a lot of money to go away, okay? So money is a massive pro. That's the main pro. Another pro, you go to LSU, where recruiting is a lot easier than it is at Oklahoma. And as much as we hate to admit it, at least this is my opinion, maybe you disagree, Grant, I think LSU is a school and a football program that's probably a little more all-in on football than Oklahoma is. It's the SEC. We always keep hearing that it means more. So those are the two, those are the two main pros of the move to LSU. Am I missing out on anything or do you disagree with any of those? Yeah, I mean I, I think the the biggest pro is that it's um there's a recent history at LSU of being able to win a national title with dudes just from your backyard. That you don't really have to go outside the state to get uh they're just there for you. They there's just there's a massive hotbed of recruiting that's right there. Um and and that comes with other things too. You don't have to spend as much resources on it as well when you got that much stuff when you got those many and there's also uh there's a cultural thing in louisiana too where if you're a louisiana dude you go to lsu like it's just that's just not it's not an option otherwise if if, if you're able to you go to lsu so um yeah. th- i mean that, that's the only thing i can think of at this point in time the reason it doesn't make any sense to me is that oh he's about to go into the sec and is going to be able is, is going to be able to compete 
with LSU in terms of, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's the SEC. So, um, yeah, I guess you bring up to you, you bring up about LSU being a little more all in on football and, you know, I mean, you're, 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 when you get to LSU and Oklahoma in that sense, you're, you're probably kind of splitting hairs there, but sure. Like I, I would accept an argument that maybe the LSU administration right now is at least a little bit more all in on football than OU is. Um, and if that's, if, if that is the case, I would have to pose the question, why? Why? That's unacceptable. So I, I might have an answer for you. And so I'll just start with this. A couple things in my head that I guess don't necessarily directly reflect the football program at Oklahoma, but things that you've brought up and that we've all brought up. Uh, number one, I think of, uh, you know, I've been to a game. I've been to one game in Death Valley at Tiger Stadium at night. They played A&M there in 2015, I believe. And I don't recall... I mean, and they whooped up on. I mean, it wasn't like sixty-five to ten. I mean, they they beat Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma. They beat A and M in the game. It was like twenty, maybe twenty-eight to ten or something. You know, it wasn't. It it was it was sizable. Uh, that was like when Leonard Fournette was still there. My my point I'm trying to get to though is I don't recall looking up into the crowd and seeing the crowd dwindle throughout the game. Like it was still crowded. It was still packed. And how many times do we complain and, and point out the fact that? Oklahoma's crowd, I mean, there's empty seats a lot of the time, student section mainly. People leave, you know, even in, in games similar to that. So that's number one. Uh, you mentioned recently on this podcast the, the tailgating, the football atmosphere scene at Oklahoma. Uh, I, I remember walking through to the, the stadium that day. Man, it was, it was crazy. I mean, the tailgating scene at LSU, not surprisingly, was cool. And Baton Rouge was cool. Uh, it just it felt, it felt like a big big time game and you just don't have as much of that anymore in Oklahoma after they've they've taken away the tailgating from Lindsay Street and I know it's been years now since then but it just doesn't feel the same so there's that but the main thing where football might be a little bit they might be a little more all in than Oklahoma and you say why you know if that's the case why it could be it could be the shady side of college sports grant I think LSU and the SEC they're more willing to to maybe push the envelope to do things that you're not supposed to do. Oh, I think and that's. I've yeah, heard. You don't even have to. I, I've heard from. Def, that's definitely true. And and I've heard from people that I trust that like Oklahoma, really is not not cool with that stuff, whether it's football, basketball, and as as much as you know, you always hear like ah, you know, how, is that true? Is that not true? I don't know. Maybe I'm naive. I, I kind of believe it, and I don't know if Oklahoma and the you know the 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 program and the school is willing to push the envelope that might break the rules as much as an LSU would. And that's a lot. It's speculation, but I've heard from people that that's also kind of part of it as well, where they might be more quote unquote all in than OU. And the question is, and is Lincoln Riley, like how much of it is him? Like, nope, nope, we got to do this above board. So maybe he goes to LSU and he's like, nope, nope, we can't break the rules here. But you know, well, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about that stuff. So that's that's kind of like where I would say maybe that's why it would be different. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, I just like I've always if not whatever. No, I mean it's uh, yeah, like all the information I've heard in that regard is is from you, and so but I I mean I do Lincoln Riley has has at least hinted at or or, or outright said it that he that he buys into that. I mean he he buys into doing everything the right way um, and not cheating. Yeah, hey, I'm. Do I think that OU is perfect across the board and that they haven't, you know, passed a little cheddar cheese onto the recruit? Of course they have. 
Like, I, I feel like, you know, it'd be naive to think otherwise, but are they, you know, but yeah, I've, I've heard the same things you have about them wanting to do the things the right way, which that, that would be a reason why Riley wouldn't want to go to LSU. I would, you know, I, yeah. I, I would yeah. assume, but. And, and, and honestly, shouldn't NIL kind of, kind of make a lot of this stuff not as big yeah, of a deal that anymore? Gives, that gives them know? a lot of cover to do pretty much whatever they want. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. So those are the pros. So and and I have here, here's my con list, and so I'll start with uh, the number one con. Uh, it's it's the opposite of the number one pro. You're not going to make as much money staying at Oklahoma. At least at least as of now. If Oklahoma doesn't match it, maybe maybe you get a little bit of a raise. But you know, in in the current contract he's in, compared to the the reported contract that he's been offered, you're not making as much money. And there's always that chance that you can get an increase over time. I think there's his, always a chance you can get. I'm going to say a this. Raise. Like, and I'll. And sorry to cut you off, but if 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 OU wins or if, if Lincoln Riley wins a national title at OU, he is going to be the highest paid coach in college football. Period. Yeah, I mean, you get a you give, you give him a blank check at that point. <laughs> I mean, it's been so long, and the Oklahoma's wanted it so much. So yeah, I mean, so. The, the con that's number but the number one biggest con <laughs> to me is that you immediately become more of a villain in the state of Oklahoma than Kevin Durant is and then you have to play Oklahoma in the SEC I don't know if they would play him every year but then you got to play him there and you know I can't imagine I just can't imagine Lincoln Riley any sort of amount of money would make him make that decision to where he would immediately be hated by an entire fan base and an entire state for the most part, except for Oklahoma state fans, they wouldn't care. But uh, I, I mean, Oklahoma's a football state. People hate Kevin Durant here. It, that's basketball. Uh, Lincoln Riley does something like that. He's immediately more of a villain than Kevin Durant. You book it, you mark it down. And I, I get a lot of this is kind of just human to human people stuff, emotional stuff, but I don't. I mean, was, would Lincoln Riley want to live the rest of his life knowing that? I don't think he would. I, I really don't think he would. That would be weird. And that was a big part of this that didn't make any sense. The emotional side of it just made no sense. Um, like you, I mean, you're a guy who got plucked kind of from obscurity at East Carolina by Bob Stoops. Uh, Bob Stoops steps down and, and gives you his job essentially. Um, and now all of a sudden, yep. as a as a what a a dude in your young 30s, your early 30s. You're now the head guy of, you know, of one of the most prestigious college football programs of all time. You know, that that was always something that I thought probably meant a lot to him. And it, I mean, it clearly does. It clearly does. And so that was I, I think, yeah, that was the big part of me that it just made zero sense whatsoever. Why would you why would you burn bridges like that? Um, and ju- just to go to a place like LSU, which in, I mean, maximum, what, 18 months time? You're going to have a lot of the same built-in advantages they have just by just by being in the SEC. So wouldn't you want to like? Wouldn't you want to take these emotional ties that you have here, these things that you've already built, take those to the SEC first to see how it goes, instead of just kind of kind of cutting, you know, cutting and running now. And like I said, I mean, yeah, if it's chance, like Lincoln Riley would would absolutely win a national title at LSU. I like. There's just not. Their last two, their last two national title winning coaches are not good head coaches. They're just not. Um, and so, I mean, we 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 just know with his recruiting prowess anyway, and just and like the type of skill players that they can attract there, and that historically they've attracted. I mean, they would. So, 
I don't know. Yeah. I, I all I know is that personally, personally, yeah. Let's say like hypothetically, like he he did he did go he did go to LSU if Lincoln Riley did he he would instantly become my least favorite public sports figure in the country easily. I I would hate his guts if he did that. And I and I'm and I'm the type of guy you know, who who is here and is like I don't I honestly don't really understand a lot of the hate for Kevin Durant. Like I, I do to an extent, but. I mean, the, Lincoln Riley going to LSU would be orders of magnitude worse. Yeah, and you know me. I'm, I'm not a very emotional person. Uh, even, you know, we talked about the last podcast, the whole OU Texas debate, and I would bet the vast majority of the people that listen to this show are on, on, are on your side on that, and I, I realize I'm on the minority. And my argument for that probably isn't even the best argument, but that's just kind of the way. I'm just a very non-emotional guy when it comes to sports. Uh, compare I mean relative to I think a lot of people but in this scenario I if that if that happens and, and yeah Lincoln Riley would would leave Oklahoma to go to go to any like really any school any college I yeah I agree I would immediately think I, I would just, I would really question a lot a lot of his character uh because I maybe that maybe that's not that's that's not fair I shouldn't say character I, I just what it's one of those things where None of us, we don't, we have no idea what it's like to be in that tax bracket to make that kind of money that he's making right now. And then, heck, the, you know, the reported raise that he would get by going to LSU, even though for us, like, oh, seven and a half million dollars a year compared to 12, like, yeah, it's, it's more, but man, seven and a half source sounds great. Do you really need the extra? Well, like, that's not up to us to make that decision. Like, you, you, you make more money, make more money, make as much money as, as you can. That, I mean, absolutely. But it's one of those things where it's like this is not like the last chance Lincoln Riley will have most likely to make that kind of money. Uh, he's still relatively young. He's 38. Uh, he, he's he got a lot of years of coaching left in him, you would imagine, because, uh, again, he's, he's under 40. And he's got a lot left to do at Oklahoma. And he every single year, he's going to be a candidate for something. And if things start to go south here and there, maybe it's time. Like, then he'll go somewhere. But it just doesn't seem like it's time right now at Oklahoma. And I think he knows that. And again, based on that Bruce Feldman tweet, it's, it sounds like he's not going anywhere. And what's going to end up happening, most likely, not surprisingly, is that he's going to get a raise. And a lot of it probably factors in on what you were talking about you know, 10, 15 minutes ago about how they're going to the SEC. And, and a lot of people are going to probably get raises here. When there's more money. And heck, I mean, with inflation the way it is right now, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot of money they're going to get. And I don't know if it's going to, you know, if, if it's going to even be, it's going to be the same now because everything costs more. By the way, that was my dumb joke I was going to try to mix in is uh, inflation is uh, making these, these salaries go up. See, eh, eh, maybe not the crowd for it. But uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. And I, I, I would also, yeah, if that happened, though, I would certainly look at Lincoln Riley in a much different light moving forward and think man that's ugh. not cool man yeah i mean i guess right. yeah for, for me it would just be i just i i think lsu's football program is detestable um and that and like for me personally <laughs> lincoln riley going to i mean by far my least favorite college football program i i hate them much more than texas um i mean that would that would be salt in the wound man i mean that would be that that'd be tough for me. That would and maybe you know I've I've even already started to think is like yeah maybe that would make college football a lot of fun though. That would make it just even better when they when OU beats LSU, or when OU wins the. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, I mean it, it, that wouldn't be cool. It, it would be it, it would be quite the. I don't think betrayal is the right word because I don't I don't really love that word for for you know. It's I mean it's football. It's it's just football. You know, OU would move on and OU would get another good guy. But, um, man, what like that that kind of be a middle finger to the state of Oklahoma a little bit. Yeah, it would, and and I know that's how a lot of people look at the Kevin Durant thing. Uh, they take it kind of personal. He left Oklahoma. Russell Westbrook stayed. That's why a lot of Thunder fans love Russell Westbrook because he stayed. He stayed in Oklahoma, uh, and you know, I, so yeah, it would be kind of a middle finger to the 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 school. It'd be a middle finger to Bob Stoops in a way and his family to Joe Castiglione. It's just I can't imagine Lincoln Riley burning those bridges. There's no way. And um, God, what else did I have? What, what, uh, middle finger, Oklahoma. Uh, man, I keep I keep losing train of thought. Sorry. Yeah, I lost it. Okay, well that's all I have on that. We spent a lot more time on that than I thought we would. I'm also glad that you brought Let's up. The, uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the whole. You know what I talked about with tailgating and and sort of the in stadium experience too. At OU is not very good. Just isn't. Um, and I'll keep saying it over again. That's a choice. <laughs> that's something that you don't got to throw a lot of money into. It just 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 make it work. Make it better. Okay, I thought of the two things. So, number one, I was thinking, uh, all right, so let's say, like, if that happened, though, like, again, it doesn't look like, look like it's going to happen, but uh, would would Riley be able to, like, would he take Alex Grinch with him? I think it'd be kind of interesting to figure out where he, where Alex Grinch stood right now with Lincoln Riley. Like, does Lincoln Riley say, hey, Alex, come along with me, or uh, does he, he's, he not bring him? <laughs> like, I mean, Alex Grinch has been great. Uh, and I mean, the defense has definitely played better the last couple of games, but I just think that would be kind of interesting to see like where his coaches stood with him and whether or not it'd be, it'd be Riley's decision or if it would be like the coaches saying like, ah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting offers somewhere else or here. So like, that's, that's like a total hypothetical that fortunately is not going to happen likely, but that, that's the thing I wanted to bring up. It's like, I wonder what would have happened if, if that happened and Al- like, would, would Alex Grinch go with them and Oklahoma would have to totally start over with everything? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, know. yeah. Like in the event that, that that happened, the fallout from it from OU's perspective would, would be, I mean, extremely fascinating. I mean, it'd be really interesting to follow, see who they would go after. Um, I, I, this, this is stupid. Matt Rule would by far be my number one choice um, if, if there was a vacancy there. And I, I know he's in the NFL now, uh, but... You never know. Maybe it's like maybe that's something where you give him enough money. He's just like, ah, I like college more. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I like the idea of Matt Rule as well. That's that's funny you bring that up because that was one of the that was the first guy that um, my coworker Brett, who's also West of Everest listener at work at News Nine, that was his first name when we were kind of doing the hypothetical of like who would you want. He said Matt Rule as well. So you guys are sympathetic. Matt Rule and uh, uh, and I, I mean I'm not sure how anyone else feels about this, but. I think one A and one B. It'd, have to, it'd be Matt Rule and, and Brent Venables would have to be the other guy would be at the top of your list. Uh, well, yeah, okay. That I mean, my thought on Brent Venables is that I think if if he wanted to be a head coach at this point, wouldn't he have already been one? But then again, maybe maybe something like Oklahoma would would be the thing that got him to be a head coach. But uh, hopefully, we, we're not talking about this. This is a, a moot point. Oh, I, there's one other thing, and you kind of referenced it a moment ago. It's hilarious, kind of in a way, because it was like, what, a week or two ago, you brought up how much you hated LSU so much on the podcast, and then this was, it was LSU that was connected to, to Riley. That was the other thing that I wanted to bring up that's kind of uh, ironic. <laughs> I will, as long as I have breath in these lungs, 
I will hate LSU. Period. Oh, wow. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is your opening take. And I wanted to – I think that's interesting. And you talked about all the guys – Let's see. Did I make sure I'm right here? I'm not looking at your opening take. Did, okay, you, you talked about Trey Norwood, Ramondre Stevenson, Trey Brown, Ronnie Perkins, and Creed Humphrey. Did you touch all those guys? Touch on all those I guys? Only touched on, I only touched on in the opening take. I only touched on Ramondre and uh, Creed. But yeah, I mean, we can add. Oh, okay. I, I just thought it was easier because you know Trey Brown. I don't know. I, I all I know is that Trey Brown has started some games for Seattle. I don't know if he's been good. Um, but I mean, I, I think we can. I mean, Trey Brown was a pretty. You know his his tenure at OU was was not without a lot of criticism and a lot of penalties and some bad plays as well, um, but the guy did get drafted into the NFL and he's he was good enough to you know as soon as he wasn't injured anymore he was activated immediately onto their active roster and and plays really significant snaps for them. So I mean that's anytime you lo- you lose a guy like that off your defense, it's gonna be a problem in all likelihood. And I think that's that's definitely that, happened this year for OU. And that's part of why I wanted to use his interception against Iowa State in the intro to today's show because I wanted to talk about this and insert Trey Brown into the conversation. And and th- so the whole thing about your opening take was that man, like you know, missing those guys this year, like they've actually been a, a lot more of a absence than maybe we would have thought. And that's just it's disappointing. And, and so I'm adding Trey Brown. I'm adding uh, Perkins and Norwood into that as well, just so we can kind of talk about it here. And I, and I do want to start with Trey Brown. And I'm kind of with you when it comes to the NFL. I haven't seen him play at all yet. I've heard he's done some nice things and that he was injured for a while. Uh, but I really don't need to see him play all that much in the NFL to admit that upon further review, he was a lot more important to Oklahoma's defense in 2020 than I had given him credit for. You see the talent drop off behind Woody Washington at that corner position. And again, it, it shows to me, it tells me that Trey Brown was a lot more valuable in 2020 than I had thought. And uh, this is this is going to probably create a sidebar discussion, but I did want to talk about this real quick because we mentioned it in the last podcast. I did watch back the second half of that Baylor game just briefly just to, to see the personnel on the field defensively because we talked about the corners. And I had mentioned that to me it looked like it was – it was mostly Key out there, and then it was Woody and DJ uh, rotating. And I watched it back after halftime, and the entire fourth quarter, because you had pushed back on me on that, and it looked like you were right, because the entire fourth quarter, it was DJ Graham and Woody Washington out there at corner. And the last time that Key played in that game was in the third quarter kind of sparingly. So it would appear that DJ Graham is the one corner who kind of looks like he's locked things down. And, and honestly, judging by the fourth quarter, maybe it's DJ and Woody. And, and you know, are they going to keep rotating Key? Or now do they all of a sudden move Key Lawrence somewhere else? Like, do they – like, we, we've been clamoring for, for somebody other than Justin Broyles at nickel. I, uh, I know this I, is a sidebar discussion, question. but, yeah. They're going to keep Key at corner, and he's going to play sparingly the rest of the year. Let's, I mean, this, that's, hmm. things aren't just going to change over. Like, that's what's going to happen. Broyles is going to play every snap at nickel the rest of the year. <coughs> all right. Well, yeah, it's all speculation with that. So, no need to get into that discussion. I guess we'll just see what happens on Saturday. All right. So, that was Trey Brown. Uh, do you agree, though? I mean, do you agree after what we've seen that 
that maybe because I know that you and I were kind of on the same page with him. I mean, we we may have uh, underestimated his his importance in this defense. Yeah, I think he um they they clearly miss his physicality playing man coverage, and regardless if he grabbed and held a lot and was he's he's really he was pretty sticky in man coverage, and a lot of the times it was because maybe his technique wasn't great and he got away with some stuff. But he didn't give up a lot of space when they asked him to play man coverage a lot of the time. Um, and I think, you know, that's that's obviously really valuable. Uh, okay, you, and you mentioned Ramondre Stevenson. It was great to see him get that start. He looked great 20, in that game against the Browns. He had 24 Browns. touches as a running back for the New England Patriots. That's like, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. So Damian Harris was out. So it was basically, it was him and Brandon Bolden, who's been around forever, and he got the call to be the the workhorse back, and he delivered. And I really hope that this catapults him to getting more carries, even when Damian Harris is back. Because I, I think Ramondre is a more explosive player than Damian Harris. Damian Harris is a good good player, obviously. Uh, but I, I just think Ramondre is a more explosive player. Uh, and everybody knew how important he was a season ago to Oklahoma. And you know, this just you know, it's nice to see him finally starting to figure it out and get some more touches at, at New England. Uh, he's just he's just a better running back than Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. So I mean he's been a huge loss, no doubt about it. We we know that. Yeah, Ramondre. Anything is... Anything else on Ramondre you want to touch on? Yeah, I, Ramondre was is clearly one of their better backs they've had in the last decade. Um, he's, I think he's you know if you want to if you want to tear him off, you know I think I think uh, obviously I think uh, I think Mixon is kind of in a tier by himself. Um, but just I mean right after that I think you got to put. You know, totally healthy Rodney Anderson, uh, P. Ryan, and and Ramondre, kind of in the in the in the exact same tier. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that, man. Totally healthy Rodney Anderson. It's a shame. It's a shame we didn't get to see more of that to see what kind of NFL career he could have had. So, uh, let's see what else we got here. I know. So Ramondre, Trey Brown. Um, you know, I always loved Trey Norwood. Um, you know, Trey. I was. I knew he'd be a big loss. He's a good player. I guess he's playing a lot with the Steelers. That's good for him, man. I didn't think he'd get drafted. I thought he was too small. I thought he needed another year, but he he's a good he's a really good football player. So good on Trey Norwood. And then, you know, Ronnie Perkins. He he's potentially been a bigger loss than maybe we thought. Because like it was one of those things where we knew he's a great player, but Oklahoma's defensive line, the depth and all the different bodies they had there were like, okay. Oklahoma can lose him because they have so many other players that are going to be able to be just fine. But Oklahoma's defensive line now, Grant, 10 games in, it's it's definitely not as good as we thought it would be. They have trouble finishing plays sometimes. They have trouble getting to the quarterback times. Uh, the offense, the, the def- defensive line for Oklahoma has been a huge disappointment relative to where we thought it would be. And Ronnie Perkins in this group, I mean, would only make it better, right? I mean, that's obvious. <laughs> yeah, and it's... Um... Yeah, there was just yeah, when Ronnie came back last year, there was clearly just a different juice that he had. He looked physically more dominant than he had his his entire career. Um and so I mean, yeah, that, that was a big loss. And I know he doesn't really play that uh that much for New England. Um Yeah, it's it's I mean, it it's been tough. Yeah, you you would you would hope just with the way they've been yeah. recruiting and the younger guys that they brought back who they got experience that, you know, them losing those those four or five guys we've mentioned haven't you know, wouldn't be that big of a deal. And it has been, it, it really has been, I, you know, I, I do think if you, if you had to say, I mean, I think Creed and Ramondre are, are by far the two biggest losses of that group of five that, that we're mentioning. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, going back yeah, to my opening take, guys. going back to my opening take, like I, I, I'll stick by it. Creed Humphrey was not dominant at Oklahoma. He wasn't. He, he just wasn't at all. Um, and I, I think, I think it's really reasonable to question why that, why that was, uh, because you don't, if you're Creed Humphrey, you don't get drafted in the second round, and you you don't step foot into the NFL right away, and are at the height of your position right away. Unless you were also awesome when you were at Oklahoma, um, and then so what? What were they doing that made it look like he wasn't dominant? I, I think that's a really good question. Oh to man, ask. man, that is a that is a fantastic professional podcast transition, Grant. Well done, because I was saving Creed for last because I had the most thoughts on Creed, and you mentioned it. You asked, you know, why didn't we see him dominate as much at Oklahoma? And you know, I'm kind of with you there. And the thing is, like, everybody that I talked to that knows offensive line play said kind of the same stuff, like that Creed was fantastic in his first year back in 2018, and then he, he kind of regressed in 2019 and 2020. He, he wasn't as effective. He wasn't as dominant. He wasn't as good. So, like, I don't think it was just us who, you know, didn't see this. Like, a lot of people kind of had that same take. And so that leads me to, to bring this up. And this could explain your question, like, why, like, What's the disconnect between Oklahoma and now the NFL? And so I was listening to Gabe Eichard and Teddy Lehman's recent podcast after the Baylor game. And Gabe was talking about uh, the offensive line and the running game at Oklahoma. And Gabe said, this is from the most recent podcast, or at least after the Baylor game, he said, after watching that Baylor game, he thinks, Gabe Eichard thinks that Oklahoma needs to reevaluate what they are doing with their run schemes. And Gabe said that what Oklahoma does is too complicated and is making it harder than it needs to be. And he added that the concepts they, that Oklahoma runs, it works well against bad teams. But when Oklahoma plays teams who are good on the line of scrimmage, like a Baylor, obviously, for instance, that Oklahoma cannot run the football. And Gabe kept, he kept going. He said that Oklahoma plays with no force in the run game. He said Oklahoma's run schemes, it's a lot of horizontal stuff. There's not much downhill. There's not much force. And he brought up Baylor's run game and how Baylor played with force and that it it wore down Oklahoma's defense over time. And Baylor played with velocity in that game. And Gabe, you know, he again he kept talking. It was really good stuff. Like and again, he's an offensive lineman, ex-offensive lineman, so I assume he knows what he's talking about. He said that it's like for Oklahoma that lining up and running base concepts that everybody else in the country runs is just not cool enough for Oklahoma. It's not creative enough. And Gabe said that there's a reason why every single team in the country runs stretch because it's one of the hardest plays to defend in football. And you know, outside zone, traditional power, traditional counter, those types of plays are not in Oklahoma's playbook. And listening to Gabe talk and you know Teddy was kind of listening and saying oh man that's that's super interesting uh you know talking about the Oklahoma run game and the offensive line play you know like I don't know anything about this stuff at a really high level and again I assume Gabe does considering his background so is it possible that now that Creed is in the NFL with the Chiefs the Chiefs are running more plays that showcase his abilities as a center compared to what Oklahoma runs, the way Oklahoma schemes it up. Because you know how we always we always seemingly see Oklahoma in pass protection is, is pretty good. 
like Gabe, you know, talked about how he thought Oklahoma's pass protection against Baylor was actually pretty good for the most part. But it's always the run game. The run game is where Oklahoma struggles. Whenever Oklahoma's offensive line seems like they get bad marks, it's in the run game. So I, I thought that was super interesting. I definitely recommend listening to that podcast if you guys want to check out more in detail what Gabe was talking about. I don't know if you listen to their podcast at all yet, Grant, but uh, that could that could give you the answer you're looking for. You know, I, I, I haven't listened to it yet. I'm sure I'll go back and listen to it uh, just because I know a lot of people have been talking about that segment from Gabe. And um, it definitely brings up a lot of interesting questions. I mean, they didn't... When Bill Biedenboe first got to OU, I mean, Gabe was here. That was 2013, 2014. And uh, they weren't, I mean, they weren't running the, the GT counter. They weren't running this, like, pulling guards and tackles a lot. They were running a lot of outside zone. Um, and those, I mean, in 2013, 2014, until Lincoln Riley got here, like, they weren't, they weren't an overwhelming ground team, but they could run the ball, for sure. They could run it. I mean, they had a, you know, they were, they were functionally running the ball. I mean, not, like I said, not killing teams with it, but they were functionally running the ball in 2013 with Brennan Clay as their lead back. Um, and then in 2014, you know, Samaj P. Ryan ran, ran for like 1,700 yards. So, um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend like I, you know, that's, you know, that's the magic bullet, right? That if they're just, if they just kind of simplify their run concepts, that's going to fix everything. That could be the case. I just don't know. And I, I don't, that, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth and act like an expert on something I don't know. All I do know is that, you know, pulling guards and tackles and that counter stuff has been really successful in the past. And I think, uh, you know, I would really like it if OU's coaching staff kind of looked themselves in the mirror and said, you know, why, why hasn't it been as successful these last couple of seasons? And why wasn't it as successful in the second half of 2019? Um, is it because these other teams have figured it out and it's just on tape so much now? And it's on, like how to, you know, how to stop it's on tape so much now that really all it does is take just a couple of good players and you can shut this thing down. Um, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I would like them to look for it because, hey, I, I'll, I can tell you one thing. Um, they're slowly developing run plays. That was clearly the, the problem, at least on the very first series against Baylor. I mean, just what they were doing just was developed so slowly. Yeah, yeah, they did. And yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. It makes me kind of wonder, though. It's like... Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they just have traditional power, traditional stretch in the playbook, anyways? I mean, I can't imagine they're very complicated plays to execute. But then maybe, then again, I mean, based on what Gabe was saying, maybe it's one of those things where you need to practice those plays a ton to get to the point where you actually can do them effectively. And Oklahoma obviously doesn't practice a lot of those plays. They have the their Lincoln Riley's his scheme. You know his running scheme, I don't but know. I mean it's, they they certainly it's a lot of questions. There, yeah, they they, they pre, they're they're pulling someone on every run play. I mean it's it happens every play, so or every every time that they're 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 wanting to simulate or show any sort of running look, there's pull and it's usually like Chris Murray or Marquise Hayes. Now it's usually just kind of the the guard that they're pulling, but it's just I don't know. It's it 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 has gotten to the point where it's weird and it's different. It, it's different than it was in seventeen and eighteen as well. Definitely, and we all kind of thought that maybe it would be a lot better with Caleb Williams because he has that threat to run more so than Spencer Rattler, and I think it, it definitely has worked more up until the Baylor game. <laughs> like, uh, you know, the, the GT counter, yeah, every, everything just was 
stop there. I mean, it's like they hadn't practiced offense they didn't, since. They, didn't, they since, didn't run the ball at yeah. all against Texas Tech. Texas Tech shut that down. Oh, that's but right. Hey, I, I will right. say. It's like they chose uh, not Texas to. Tech also totally shut down Brees Hall and Iowa State's running game as well. Like, I think uh, they only had like 85 yards on 35 carries or something like that. Iowa State. Oh, how about that? Another professional transition to the next segment. OU versus Iowa State. Oh, man. Well done. Let's talk about that game. Uh, right now, man, this is this is wild. It Oklahoma at 9-1, and one, and I get it. It's a 9-1 it's a and one with an asterisk because Oklahoma's first nine games were, were not hard, and there's a lot of teams in this country that are like at Oklahoma's level that also would have gone nine and zero against that first nine games. I get that, but man, Iowa State is is super underperforming. Iowa State's six and four. I know the analytics and stuff like them a lot more than their record indicates, but we're at a game now, Grant, where Oklahoma is only a three and a half point home favorite against Iowa State, and historically, that's a that's a line with Lincoln Riley as the coach, which you just you hammer OU all day long. Uh, I, I know I'm jumping out ahead of things probably, but there's a reason why that number is so low. So the first question I have for you as we transition to talk about OU Iowa State, Oklahoma, a short favorite at home. I, I feel like we've said this a lot leading into certain games like this throughout this podcast history, but given everything that's happened over the last week, I, I are we going to truly learn a lot about this Oklahoma football team and this Oklahoma football program on Saturday? I think that that's, that's going to be the case. What do you think? Well, yeah, yeah, uh, very much so. Like, where is this team's head at? I mean, like, where are they? Like, where is this program? We're going to learn a lot on Saturday. And so, yeah, I, I guess um, I, don't, I don't know how to feel about this game. I don't feel great about it. I don't like I I, I kind of feel like Iowa State is by far the worst team to play in the Big Twelve coming off of uh, the game that OU just had. Um, the fact that that Iowa State this year is six and four, despite I mean, let's be real, they're, they're just as good as they were last year. I mean, they're they're quality wise, they're really no different than they were last year. Uh, they've just well, I think I think all four of their losses are are by single digits. They just lost by three to Texas Tech. I know the. Um, their game against Iowa, I think I, I think they may have lost by double digits, but it was but I know that you know Iowa had a lot of things kind of go their way in that game. They only lost they lost to Baylor only after a missed two point conversion at the end of the game. Um, who else did they lose to? Because they beat Oklahoma State, right? They beat uh, or yeah, they lost to West Virginia in Morgantown. Okay, and that you know that that that's a bad loss for them. That's a bad loss for them. Um, but still, it's. Uh, I don't know, man. I this just kind of feels like, like narratively, right? I, I'm terrified of this game because one, I, I've I've been banging the drums on Iowa State, like up oh, they're going to disappoint this year. They're going to disappoint. And can you tell me why this why this wouldn't be Iowa State Super Bowl right now? Why they're no, not going to? No, yeah, I mean Iowa State is not going to care about a single game after this the rest of the season. This is it for them. <laughs> this is it for that. Like this is the game left for all of those sixth and seventh year guys who came back for them. This is it for them. Like you think they're gonna think they're gonna get all up for because what? Like the best like the best bowl game they can get in now is probably what like the Texas Bowl or something like that. They don't care about that. Yeah. Uh, this is it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and their last game of the year is a. I mean, it, it's their you know home home senior day, but it's against TCU. Whatever. I mean, yeah, they'll care about that, but it's definitely yeah. That's a great point because man, these guys, a lot of these guys on this roster already know how to beat Oklahoma, and now they just saw Oklahoma get beat by Baylor. Oklahoma comes in wounded. Their head coach had all these coaching rumors about leaving potentially. You're exactly right, man. All these veteran players at Iowa State, they want to deliver this Oklahoma team the freaking knockout blow, man. The freaking knockout blow. 100%. And, man, it's you say that Iowa State's kind of the same as last year. Or there's not a whole lot different, and you're probably right about that. But I can't get past the fact that two of the last three games, like I, I guess their defense is still statistically pretty good but I mean they gave up 38 to West Virginia and 41 to Texas Tech I, there something's going on with their defense man yeah there, there's right I, but that's like that's the thing though like I I would feel a lot better if their defense had been playing really well going into this game and I know that <laughs> yeah. sounds silly but like I don't know I mean, we just watched we just watched Chandler Morris just freaking shred Baylor and then we saw what happened on Saturday I don't really think yeah. You know, Iowa State's defensive performance coming into this game, like over the last two weeks, I'm not going to say it's irrelevant because that's not true. I mean, that that's those are still data points that are on film. But, I mean, if, if you think that Iowa State is going to come in and they're going to play as poorly as they did against Texas Tech, man, no way. No way that's going to happen. Iowa State's going to play really well in this game. You can't really convince me yeah. otherwise. And just think back to the last game against Baylor for Oklahoma. I mean, uh, again, I mentioned earlier, like the defense looked like it was ready to go from the start, but the offense did not. And, like, if that's the way Oklahoma looked against Baylor, coming out of the gate in a game against a top 13 team on the road, in a game where Oklahoma had everything to play for still, it was championship November. You know, they hadn't lost a game in November since 2014. If that's the way Oklahoma looked with all of that going on, how is Oklahoma going to prepare, and how are they going to look coming out Saturday after they just got beaten pretty bad by Baylor in that game? And the only thing left really in front of them that is for sure a possibility is a Big 12 championship, which this team, I know that it's important, but it's a, it's, this team has won the Big 12 championship, what is it, six years in a row? They're trying to go for seven years. Like it's, it's just not like everything was there to play for, and they laid an egg, and now they lose – this late in the year for the first time against an Iowa State team that just got beat on a 62-yard field goal, has had a, a disappointing season, and as you pointed out a moment ago, is going to be treating this like their Super Bowl. I mean, it's this is a mixture of really bad things for Oklahoma. And, and you couple that with all the rumors about Lincoln Riley, and make no mistake, the players in Oklahoma, they definitely know about all that stuff. I mean, they're on social media all the time. It's 2021. Oklahoma utilizes social media all the time as a program. I mean, it's a, it's a big thing. So they know all about it. I, there's a legitimate chance that Oklahoma, at this point, man, after that Baylor loss and everything going on, that they're toast and they crumble. And it's really weird and, and an unusual place for me to be and to think because I've never felt this way as long as this podcast has been around. You know, I... Yeah, I you know I I feel like I have I have been at that point. Um, 2018 Texas, uh, that first one was a pretty weird time. Um, you know I and I 
historically, I, I think if history is any indication, OU's going to come out and play well on Saturday. Um, having that been said, I, obviously, or uh, that having been said, obviously you have um, the the context of the entire season so far, where it's just like the expectations were so high, they were still nine and zero, but they hadn't really met any of those those expectations, and then they just get kind of physically beat down, even though the defense kept them in the game the entire time, but you just had you had one side of the ball come out just totally punchless. Um, that side of the ball happens to be where your head coach, your highly publicized head coach is, is controlling everything. And so it was just, yeah, I mean, I don't, they came out nine and oh for the first time they were nine and oh in November for the first time in over 15 years. And they came out and they got punched in the mouth. It seemed like the offense at least, or Lincoln Riley at least didn't, didn't meet the moment at all. The defense did at times for sure. Uh, but the entire team did not. And so Man, I don't know. But hey, on, on the flip side, right, if you want to take a glass half full approach, right, I mean, if they come out and they're impressive and they look good on Saturday, then it kind of, it almost feels like a reset because I actually disagree with you. I still think they're alive for the playoff. Um, I, I still think they're very much realistically alive for the playoff. Um, I, I mean, I don't think it's likely by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I, I maintain that they really just need Oregon to lose a game and they're they're right back in it. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, let me be clear. They're obviously statistically still alive for the playoff. Absolutely. They they definitely are. It I'm just baking in all the stuff we already know about this team. And And also, by the way, it it, it doesn't help that the committee I mean, has not liked Oklahoma all season long and Oklahoma has not given them any reason to like them, especially after last week. Um and, you know, hey, like um, I'm just saying, Kansas State has an opportunity to do OU a solid this weekend uh, because if Kansas State beats Baylor, which I which I think there's a really good chance of that happening uh, in Manhattan, all of a sudden you got an 8-3 and three Kansas State team playing, uh, playing, I believe, Texas at home in, in the last the last week of the year with a chance to go 9-3. and three. And 9-3 and three Kansas State is going to be a top 15 team in that poll. Um, and that's, that, that, I mean, that, that was a road win for OU, so... You know, uh, talk, talk yeah, about the at playoffs Texas. at this point in time is does it it, it it does feel weird to talk about the playoff. Uh, I just yeah yeah we I just want them to look halfway competent on offense on Saturday. Let's let's start there. So yeah, a second ago you said like on the flip side, you know, hey, they come out, they play well, you know, like it could be a reset. And and I wanted to I wanted to bring that up as well because there is a flip side. You're right, and you're know, like, what if? And again, this Bruce Feldman tweet that we saw before we started recording that, you know, he's hearing that Riley's not going anywhere. You know, like, what if, you know, like, and that's true, like, Riley, he's all landed Oklahoma. You know, all that was just smoke. There's no fire there. You know, maybe he he addresses his team this week because, again, like, 100% those guys know about all this stuff, and it's like, I feel like you kind of have to address your team and talk about that and be up front with your guys that you've recruited, that you brought here. And, like, you know, let's say that happens, and this is all just me speculating. I don't know. I don't know if this has all happened at all. But, like, let's say that happened. He laid it all out there. He proved to his guys and his coaching staff he's all in. Let's go out there. We got a lot to play for still. Let's go win some stuff. And then on Saturday at 11 a.m., they show up, and the team looks engaged. They look like they have everything left to play for, and they come out with their hair on fire, and they look great like we have seen them in the past coming out after a loss. Like, that is definitely a possibility. It'd be incredible. But today, I feel a little bit better about that Bruce Feldman tweet. And it's so weird putting so much stock into a tweet. But 
uh, I'm doing it a lot, and I know you are a little bit too. Uh, but I will say, if I had to make a prediction today about what's going to happen and like what kind of team we're going to see on Saturday, I would say that flip side, best case scenario type team is is probably not likely. I mean, maybe just because of what we've seen from this team so much this year, it just it doesn't seem like this is a team that like they've been playing with fire, they've been on the edge, they've been able to win, they've been able to win, but then they finally, you know. They they don't win they lose and they don't they don't even lose close like they weren't even really in it yeah that could make them just totally doubt everything and just fall off a cliff hey I mean we did and, we we saw yeah. we saw OU just totally you know crap the bed against Kansas looked terrible um and they came out the week after that and let's be they played their best game of the year against Texas Tech a Texas Tech team that just beat Iowa State and they I mean a Texas Tech team that beat Iowa State and moved the ball really well on them. Uh, moved the ball obviously a lot better on Iowa State than they did against OU, and that was with Donovan Smith. Who uh, Donovan Smith looked terrible against OU, and he lo- I mean he looked good against against Iowa State. I, I he was throwing the ball downfield and fitting it into some tight windows. Yeah, I watched a little bit of that game. I saw that his first touchdown pass on fourth down. He just dropped a a dime over the top, and I was wondering what Iowa State was doing defensively. It was man coverage, and there was no safety help, and he put the ball right on his receiver. His receiver got a step on the defender, and it was a touchdown pass on fourth down. So, yeah, Donovan Smith looked a lot different than he did against Oklahoma. That's Texas for sure. Tech also <laughs> ran for 200 yards, over six yards a carry against Iowa State, too. Running a lot of inside zone. A lot of inside zone. Man. Well, I, I, I want to say Teddy Lehman brought up during that segment that I was referencing a while ago about the offensive line and the run schemes. I want to say Teddy, and maybe Gabe mentioned it, too, that against Kansas State, Oklahoma did run a bunch of outside zone and some inside zone. I remember we talked about it at the time, and they were somewhat effective, and that was before Caleb Williams came in. It makes you wonder. It's like, all right, it's a well, good Oklahoma did kind of show they, yeah, it, it showed that it is part of their playbook sometimes. So maybe, maybe Oklahoma does at some point, maybe Riley adjusts and they go back to that kind of idea, and I'd be curious to see what, what the effectiveness it would be with Caleb Williams playing quarterback. And by the way, Caleb Williams – uh, Riley said that his hand is good. He's full go. Uh, he was, you know, he was just frustrated in that game. You know, he was missing throws. He wasn't seeing stuff. And it's just like, you know, we, you brought it up weeks ago, Grant, and you kind of joked about it. How it's it's kind of insane how much rides, how much Oklahoma's success rides on a true freshman quarterback. And I think you mentioned, I think you said at the time, like you're kind of okay with it because of how good Caleb Williams is and was playing. Uh, and obviously, he came way back down to earth against Baylor and, and didn't play very well. But it's true. Like, if Caleb Williams, uh, you know, if, if he doesn't play like he did against Baylor the rest of the year and he just plays and, like, you know, like his floor is just more kind of average, then, yeah, Oklahoma should be pretty fine because he is he is really good. And his play will determine Oklahoma on Saturday. And I guess his play will determine how Oklahoma goes the rest of the way. And I suppose, as, as crazy as that sounds, like, oh, no, one guy shouldn't factor in so much that's football though a lot of football is how good is your quarterback how good does he play and the rest of the team kind of falls behind right so that's not that crazy to think about so as long as he plays well Oklahoma should be fine oh yeah I mean if 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 Caleb Williams plays well they're gonna win I I mean I don't I I don't think that's super conscious and I guess some crazy stuff could happen um but yeah I mean if 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 we're looking at their game against Iowa State and we're just like man yeah man Caleb Williams is playing really well then I don't really see how they lose the game. But also, I mean, Spencer Rattler played the best game of his career in Ames last year, and they lost that game, so 
there, there's it the flip one side of, of that. Best games. It wasn't. It wasn't his best game of his career, but it was one of his best games. I, I really uh, do think really that's, well, that was the best the he looked all year. In, in his entire career, he was. He was, and, and yeah, maybe it's just my my nostalgic memory that is betraying me here. But he looked so good in that game, just totally under control. I mean, remember remember the dimes that he dropped that o, that OE receivers just couldn't catch. That would have oh, that yeah. would have effectively yeah. won OU the game, in every instance. R.I.P. Ob Obialo. R.I.P. Dropped the touchdown. Even though I I want to say did Oklahoma end up scoring anyways in that drive? Maybe I I can't remember. I can't remember. Um. Uh, he was. I mean, he was really good against Oklahoma State. I mean, that was actually his best game, Oklahoma State, statistically. Uh, TCU. He was great against TCU as well. He was good against TCU. And he actually like was mobile against TCU. Remember that play where he spun out of that sack and then picked up a first down, scrambling. It's just like it, all of his mobility just kind of. I don't know where it went, but. Uh, so where was I getting? At? Okay, so like you guys have probably noticed as we discuss Iowa State, it's not as regimented as it normally is on this podcast. Normally we go through the offense versus the defense on both sides. We kind of give what we want to see, kind of keys to the game or whatever, and and we're just not doing that here because I, it doesn't seem useful. Because how many times have we actually watched a bunch of tape? We put a bunch of time into it, and it almost looks like Oklahoma didn't watch any tape themselves. And so it was like, oh, what was the point of that? And I'm not saying Oklahoma's not doing that, but I mean, I didn't put the time into it because we kind of know Iowa State. Oklahoma knows Iowa State, and I, I don't even know if it would matter if we went down and break down what you know what Oklahoma would do against Iowa State, what they should do. I don't know if Oklahoma's going to do it anyways. So I say that to transition to the part where I say, hey, all right, let's make. I don't know if we're going to make a prediction, but you said a little bit ago that you're not feeling great about this game. Do you want to make a call like? Do you have a gut feeling? Win, loss? Uh, what, what do you think? Uh, my my gut my gut is saying loss. Um, and hey, I mean that's that's happened earlier this year. My gut was saying loss when they went to Manhattan. Uh, I'm pretty sure I picked them to lose on this podcast. Um, I just yeah I it's but you know my my gut is it, it's it's totally narrative based. It's it's like hey yeah this was a really disappointing season for Iowa State. They're six and four. When they had, when they thought they had legitimate kind of like Big Twelve and, and playoff, uh, you know, aspirations this year, and it just it just makes sense to me that in a season that's been really disappointing to them, that their consolation prize would be beating Oklahoma in Norman. That that just sort of seems like logical uh, in a narrative sense to me. Um, in terms of like actual X's and O's, like I mean, I can't and like what's happened on the field, you can't ignore what's happened to Iowa State two of the last three. Two of the last three weeks, losing to West Virginia, giving up 38 points on kind of a punchless offense, um, and then you know giving up 41 and and a lot of yards against a Texas Tech team with like what I mean their third string quarterback. So, um, I don't know. I, I just yeah, I and, I and it it's happening on the road. It's all been on the road where they've struggled. And it's all been on the road where they've struggled. So hey, uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see OU come out and play well in this game. But, you know, couple that with the fact that, whatever, Matt Campbell's staff at Iowa State, they've clearly figured out how to at least slow down OU a little bit. And I, and I know in 2019, without the Jalen Hurts turnovers, OU had gobs and gobs of yards and moved it pretty easily. Um, but kind of since then, I mean, last year it was a, it was a struggle a lot of the times. Not, not necessarily like moving it, but effectively moving it. 
So I don't know against a against a freshman quarterback who we've now seen is we've now that Baylor has made him look a little bit more impotent than we thought. Um, I know Iowa State is a really good coaching staff. I know they have good players. Will McDonald, Mike Rose is really good. Uh, Ashim Young is arguably their best player on that. Nah, nah, Will McDonald is, but Ashim Young is definitely their best defensive back. I don't know. I mean, it, w- it wouldn't surprise me at all to see. I, you know what Iowa State's going to do? They're going to rush three. They're going to drop eight, and they're going to pick their spots where they blitz. And a lot of the times when they blitz, it's pretty effective. So we'll see, man. I don't know. I, but I, I do not feel good about the game. Not getting good vibes. Yeah, neither am I. I I'm not at all. Um, it's for all the reasons you mentioned. Uh, I will say again, not not man. I'm gonna beat a dead horse. The the idea of Lincoln for sure, like he's not gonna go to LSU, and the idea of and this is just all in my head, just imagining this because I just feel like again, if you're the head coach, you have to address your team because if you don't, that's a huge elephant in the room. And I just have this idea of him like talking to his team, saying, "Hey guys, I'm here. This is my. This is I, I love you guys. Like I'm all, all in on OU." And they have this big come to Jesus moment, and I can just picture them all getting even more hyped up for this game, coming off of a loss, and like that's the best case scenario. And so, you know, if, if that's if, if my fantasy is actually kind of closer to reality, then Oklahoma comes out and they take care of business, and they probably play pretty well and win the game. But the cynical side of me thinks that. Uh, even if that does happen, or if there, if he if he, he does, if Riley does address the team and it's fine, like I don't know, man. It's just this team is doesn't seem like it's very mentally strong. And Iowa State, all the narrative stuff, they're going to come out. And they're going to want to beat the doors off of OU. So yeah, I'm just I'm not feeling great about it. I, there's normally at three and a half, you know, I'm all over Oklahoma, and I would bet a lot of pro betters are going to hammer OU because they're going to say there's a lot of value on OU because they're only, you're only laying a field goal and and you know the hook at home against a you know coming off of a loss. I feel like as a pro better, there's a lot of reasons to like Oklahoma in this game. But you know, we're close to the program. Uh, I I'm not feeling good about it. So I'm going to sit the fence here. I know this is not what you guys want to hear, but that's kind of the way I am. Like I I hate to make a pick. Like I ah, uh, you know, I I kind of think I I, kind of, I do kind of think they're going to lose the game, and it's gonna like they're going to kind of they're going to kind of spiral. Uh, it it just it just kind of feels that way. But again, I reference like if it's true though that Riley is going to set the record straight and he's and everyone's on the same page and they're all together, that's great. That makes me kind of think more and more like they actually could come out and win the game. And the last thing that makes me feel a little bit better about this game, did you see this this viral video of Matt Campbell going around when he was talking to the media? I did. I don't. I see. I I saw it yesterday. I don't. I don't understand the significance of that. I I really don't. So it's what he says there means nothing. It just. It. I think it means a little bit of something. It's. It was weird. I think I, it was weird because like that goes more into my narrative thing. It's like oh, people talk. Oh gosh, yeah. Iowa State doesn't care. Like they're totally. They're delusional. Nah, you're just telling yourself that. You're telling yourself a narrative. No, no, no. That's. That's not what it is at all. Like I guess people might think that that that's not the way I take it at all. It's it, it it's almost like Iowa State could be going through their own stuff right now, like maybe just as bad as OU with like that locker room behind the scenes. Like a coach that was a weird thing for the coach to say because in case you guys don't don't know what we're talking about, he uh, I guess a reporter suggested that 
it was Matt Campbell's goal this year to win a conference title, which is like, okay, like everybody's goal is to win that, right? But like Matt Campbell stopped him and was like, no, no, not me. That was never my goal, end quote. And I have the rest of his quote here. Matt Campbell said, my goal has always been one thing, and that is to become the best version of ourselves that we can become. So you've never heard me say that word once. You've only heard me talk about becoming the best version of yourself that you can be. And really, my challenge for this year's team was to become the greatest together team in the history of Iowa State football. So, so far, all of our goals are still intact. From a Coach Campbell standpoint, uh, oh, sorry, let me, let me rephrase that because I, I put the wrong inflection. He said, so far, all of our goals are still intact from a Coach Campbell standpoint. Now, could our players have other goals and aspirations? Sure. Do I want them to have great goals and aspirations? Sure. But that is not Coach Campbell's goal that was never said by me, end quote. That, that is some really weird quotes. It's almost like trying to absolve himself of not winning a Big 12 title. I don't think it's that like, weird. Oh, like, that was- I don't think it's that weird. They're six and four. You have to answer the question somehow. What he's saying right now is a variation of, we are trying to we're, we are trying to decouple results from what we do on the field, which is exactly what Nick Saban does. It's just all about being better. It's all about executing this play better, that play better. Don't worry about what the scoreboard says. What like how how else are you going to try to motivate your team before a game against OU? They can't win the Big Twelve title. You can't motivate them with with things that they're going to win. The only way that you can motivate them going into this game is be the best version of yourself that you can be. And let the chips fall where they may, and that's 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 the exact that's the exact interpretation I had when I watched the video. And okay, interesting. So this is a good back and forth. So if that has been the message from Campbell this entire year in his locker room, and all of his his players understand that, then okay, yeah, your your interpretation of this is correct, and it's probably not a big deal. I the way I the way I interpreted it, interpreted it as is just kind of like. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> all right, man. Like, I never said we were going to win the Big 12 title or we wanted to. I just, all I want to do is just be the best version of ourselves. And it almost kind of comes off as like he's setting a low bar and using the whole idea of being the best version of yourself kind of as, as an excuse. That, so I think that's my interpretation of it. But again, if you're correct and everybody in that locker room understands what Matt Campbell just said there and it makes sense to them, then yeah, this is not an issue at all for them, uh, and you know that could be the case. It just I've never heard a coach say stuff like that. That that's because, and he was so forceful of it. Like he could have been like, "Well, I actually never talked about winning a Big Twelve title. I just blah 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 blah. I, I, whatever. I get it, but uh, it well because just, just like what is he? Weird. And then also, what is he going to say there? What on earth is he going to say? He's gonna, yeah, it's really disappointing that we couldn't win a Big Twelve title this year. Oh yeah! By the way, we're going on the road to play an Oklahoma team that still has a chance to win a Big Twelve title. Uh, so yeah, this is this is yeah, like this is one of those things, and like this is just one of those like weird social media things where it's like I point towards that and I see kind of OU fans being like, oh, haha, like yeah, you know maybe they're going through their own stuff or yeah, there's some real champions of life sort of vibe going through there with that with that answer. Nah, you're 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 telling yourself something to make your to make yourself feel better about OU winning the game on Saturday. Well, I'm 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 doing neither that or anything else. Well, I'm, just, I'm not I'm not I'm talking about you to, in general. I'm just saying. Okay. Oh, sure. I, well, I mean, you're 
I mean, you're just accusing people. You're just trying to get in people's heads. I mean, maybe some people think that. Well, I'm just trying to analyze what the guy said. And, and you know, at the start of this podcast, you talked about how, uh, you know, when Lincoln Riley, his response to the question about LSU, it kind of made alarm bells go off for you more just because the way he answered it. And you kind of referenced how you follow politics a lot. Maybe that's kind of clouding or making you think certain things. I think when a coach, when Matt Campbell, multiple times in that answer, references himself in first person, that's, that's weird to me. Coach Campbell said that from a Coach Campbell standpoint, like like stuff like that, like shouldn't that kind of have alarm bells go off for you as well? Because that's just a weird way to talk. Uh, does, does Matt Campbell always talk in the first person like that? I don't know. Uh, and that, that's another part of that quote that made me kind of think this is this is weird. This is I don't know if he actually believes what he's saying. Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, just for me, it's he, one of those things. Beware of anything that. Like that, that confirms all of your hopes and dreams. Like with stuff like that, it's like, oh yeah, it's like it'd be great if OU was going in to this game playing an Iowa State that is just like falling apart. And then, but like that's everyone knows that that's very, very likely not the case. So like, don't don't do that to yourself. Iowa State's going to come into this game prepared and ready to go. Yeah, probably. But I will like again like that. And OU's got a lot more stuff going on than Iowa State. Don't get me wrong. But that to me, that was something. That was something weird. I just was like, eh, I don't know. That's, that's, kind of, that's a weird thing. <sighs> but, uh, yeah, I think we both answered it. Yeah, we're both not feeling great about this game. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, Period. puts us... I mean, that's, that's the entire fan base. No one feels good about this game. And rightfully so. I mean, the last time we saw them, it looked really bad. And they're, they're going up against a team that, despite the records, quality-wise, is just as good as Baylor. I mean, they're... That's, they're just as good. Man, as much as I want this podcast to be different and I want us to have forceful picks and good reasons, I'm disappointed in, in myself for not having something like that today. I just I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, and that's on me. Hey, I like and if you guys want to castigate me for that, then then you're you're well within your rights because I deserve it. I just so, hey, it. We're, we're we're coming off a game where I'm sorry, just the the X's and O's breakdown did not support the outcome of that game of what it actually was. Um, I don't, I, I don't, there wasn't anybody who was, who was analyzing that game in the lead up who thought that OU's offense would look like that. Nobody did. That's, that's, you know, Hey, that's one of the random natures of sports that makes sports great. Right. It just so happened in that situation In that situation, you know, on, on, you know, for the team that we root for the team that we love, it just didn't work out. Indeed. All right. So, do we care about the college football playoff rankings or do we just want to move on to don't the care. next thing? I don't care. Okay. I don't care either. All right. Big 12 and national talk. Uh, okay. So the Big 12, uh, I know we talked about Texas a little bit the last episode. Texas is at West Virginia. The Mountaineers are a three point favorite, 11 a.m. kick. Uh, I mean, Texas, man, like, on the road, like Texas legitimately has a chance to go four and eight. That's pretty interesting. I don't have many thoughts about how this game's going to go, but it tells you everything you need to know at this point that we're going into game 11 and in Sark's first year. I know it's a road game, but uh, I mean, Texas isn't even favored against West Virginia, who was, I think, picked to finish what in the middle part of the Big 12, maybe middle, middle, like sixth or seventh. So yeah, not been a good year for Sark. I don't have any thoughts, but I will open the door for you in case you want to talk about this game. I, I don't have any thoughts. I you know from a gambling perspective, I think you're probably getting some value on Texas here, a little bit, but I don't. I wouldn't touch. Probably. I, I wouldn't touch this. I, I you know I think 
like Texas's defense is terrible, but West Virginia's offense has just been very just not explosive this season. And um, I don't know. It, w- it wouldn't surprise me at all if Texas wins this game. But also, I mean, everyone's out there. I mean, Bijan's out. I'm pretty sure Casey Thompson's out too. Um, so I mean, they're, they're probably gonna be pretty hamstrung on offense. So yeah, yeah, you're not gonna see anybody shedding any tears if if Texas loses, though. Of course. And hey, you know what? A West Virginia win. I what what is West? Are they five and five? Or are they what are they? Have they lost six games? Uh, they're four and six, so they're they're fighting for a bull berth still. Okay, so yeah, so them and Texas have the same record. So I mean, it, yeah. it would be nice yeah. if either of these teams, theoret- I mean, could could finish as a, as a bowl eligible team. I'd prefer it to be West Virginia, obviously. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean West Virginia. They got Texas and they got Kansas. So oh, so I mean, West I mean, Virginia yeah. is looking this at is it. I mean, six a, wins. Okay. This is a huge game for West Virginia. Yeah, I, I think they'll. You would you would think that West Virginia is going to come out and actually like be ready to play. Yeah, I mean it, it's huge for both, obviously, because if if both want to play in a bowl game, uh, it, it makes you wonder. Like you're going to learn how much West Virginia's team, how much they like. Uh, Neil Brown, like are they big Neil Brown guys? Are they going to try to get their coach to a bowl game this year? I mean, West Virginia, back-to-back games. They lost convincingly to Oklahoma State, and they lost convincingly at Kansas State. So they've lost two in a row, home against Texas. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a game that they're, they're going to think that they can win. They obviously can win it. So interesting matchup, interesting game for sure. Next one, Kansas is at TCU. TCU is a 21-point favorite. Whatever, uh, man, I was way off. I, I was on TCU plus the points, and that was a terrible pick last week. Uh, I don't think I made it on the podcast, but I, I, I was on TCU, and uh, as that game was unfolding, I felt like a, an idiot. I mean, so many things are happening with Oklahoma State. In that, eh, whatever. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, any thoughts, Kansas, TCU? Uh, no, definitely not. Okay. Uh, Baylor is at Kansas State. Kansas State's actually a one-point favor right now. We're going to save that for later. Uh, okay, so then Oklahoma State is at Texas Tech. So OSU is laying 10 at Tech. Interesting matchup. Um, what I was going to say is Oklahoma State, why I felt so dumb picking against them, even though it was almost two touchdowns. I mean, that was a night Oklahoma State was honoring Barry Sanders. They unveiled the Barry Sanders statue. He was at the game. They did a blackout. I mean, there was so many things going in Oklahoma State's favor like why on earth did I think that they weren't just going to blow the doors off of TCU and uh, they did so Oklahoma State now interesting I mean Texas Tech's coming off a really emotional win over Iowa State they play another home game and they have a chance to get an even bigger upset now over over Oklahoma State and and ruin Oklahoma State's season Uh, 10 points is interesting I I I have no idea where the value is here on this one Grant do you have a feel I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm almost at the point right now where I don't I don't know if I want to bet against Oklahoma State's defense. Their their defense yeah. is is legitimately in, in in the elite tier of college football. They're th- this is the best Oklahoma State defense I've ever seen. They're they're just they're very good. They're they I mean they're just they're very sound. Their defense reminds me a lot in quality of that Baylor defense from a couple years ago. Uh, but they they may be a little better than that. Yeah, so if Oklahoma's defense is that good and is like one of those best defenses that may, maybe you know we've seen and like up there with college football, 
then 10 points, even on the road, should be something like where it's a slam dunk Oklahoma State pick, right? Because I'm, I'm not going to – I know Oklahoma State's defense is not, a good, not as good as Georgia's defense, but, like, obviously if Georgia was only laying 10 on the road, we'd be like, oh, Georgia, heck yeah. Um, I don't know, like, what other defenses are comparable. I guess Wisconsin, but I'd, I'd, I'd say, say Oklahoma yeah, State's the, the most com- is probably better than Wisconsin. The most comparable defense is Oklahoma State would be um, Iowa, Penn State, stuff like that, I think. And so then you ask yourself, where's Oklahoma State's offense compared to teams like Not that? Good. And eh, it's getting better. I mean, they're running the ball. They're they're kind of figuring it out. I mean, Texas Tech's defense is very good. So I don't know, I might kinda of, I might lean Oklahoma State, but then again, is there any sort of look ahead potential for Oklahoma State looking ahead to Oklahoma? Maybe. Even though OSU I mean, they have to take every single game one at a time. They're all important. I would say I would say yeah. maybe, but you know, I it's Typically, when your defense is that good, that's not a problem a lot of the time. But and when they have so many veteran players on their defense sure, but and on their team, hey, it, it, it shouldn't Texas be a problem. Tech, I mean, Texas Tech has weapons, though. They, they do. I think they've, they've proven that numerous times this season. They've had different guys step up and, and be weapons. Um, so, no, I mean, if, if Texas Tech jumped on them and was hot for a quarter or two, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, and Oklahoma State, they really, ha- I mean, th- their offense, you're right, has been getting better, but they're not going to light up the scoreboard really on anybody because they, they just, they, they can't throw the ball down the field consistently enough to light the scoreboard up like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think this would definitely hinge on Texas Tech getting out early on them and forcing Oklahoma State to play catch up. But I, I don't know. I, I think Oklahoma State is kind of, I think Oklahoma State's a really good team. I think they're, they're really good. All right, let's talk about the most important part of the podcast now, if you've been listening this long, because, I mean, I got to give you a hand, Grant. I mean, you're on an absolute heater this year. I mean, last year, or last year, last week in our picks, I mean, you rattled them off. It was quick. It was our quick because you had to go. So you, you did them real fast. You went 4-0 and 1. I mean, just, you're hot. I, uh, you're 33-16-1. and on the season and I, I hesitate to, to really talk more about it because at some point this luck's going to run out I mean this is an incredible gambling run you're on yeah it, it'll run out and I actually you know I was I was in Iowa last week and so I could actually I could actually gamble and um, unfortunately the, the picks that I had um, on the pod last week I, I made almost exclusively part as, uh, of, of parlays so I did hit on those in the parlays uh, but I had other I had other bets in there that that tanked the parlays, so I wasn't really able to uh, uh, to actually profit last weekend at all. Unfortunately, you, you don't parlays are dumb. You don't do parlays, man. Uh, they're way more fun. Unless you're just trying to have some fun. I was just, they're, they're they're way, way more fun. fun. And I I mean I was walking around tailgating. The OU game was the only game I was interested in watching while I was walking around tailgating. I didn't I didn't I didn't really want to follow gambling that much. So. Um, yeah, I'll uh, we'll see. I don't know. I'll keep yeah, this going. I, mean, I feel that, like, I, like I said, I feel like I've had a pretty decent feel this season. Um, I think there was there was a bit of a bit of a dip in the middle of the year, but I, I don't know. I I feel like I'm I'm understanding what's going on pretty well this year in college football. So yeah, you're picking on the podcast at a 67 percent clip, and I want to say professional gamblers they always try to go for what are they trying to hit like 50. 
it's like just over 50%, right? Like 52 or 53. I'll just or say 50, maybe 50. I mean, 54. Say 54 sounds familiar to me, but that, I mean, you're splitting hairs. Yeah, I think 54, 55 is like really good. That's like, you're a pro gambler. You're a pro better. So, yeah, I mean, the games we picked on this podcast, if you've been listening to this show and you've been, you know, betting Grant's picks, uh, doing well, I'm not doing as well. I, uh, I was 2-2-1. Two, two and one. Uh, you know, I, I've been right around 500 for the, probably for the last four or five weeks. I've been trying to get back up to 500 for the season. I'm 22, 27, and one, so not as great. Um, all right, so I haven't looked at these games much, but uh, this this could be a tough week, man. This could be tough. We'll start with a top 10 matchup. So uh, we didn't want to talk about the playoff rankings, but you know this game is going to go a long way to shaking up the playoff rankings. Michigan State at number seven is at Ohio State, number four. And uh, Ohio State's a 19-point home favorite. And so we've been talking about a lot of gambling you know, principles and like what the line's trying to tell you. Th- this line is trying to tell you, take Ohio-, take Ohio State. I mean, they're way better than Michigan State. You're going to see that 19 and think, oh, my gosh, a top uh, – Michigan State's ranked ahead of Ohio State, and you're giving me 19 points? Gimme, gimme, gimme. But I really do think that you're again. This is like very low level because I haven't broken this game down. I haven't looked at both sides. Where you you kind of think if you're going to bet this game, you might look towards Ohio State. Um, and so I think that's where I'm going to I'm going to look towards because I'm I'm not the biggest Michigan State believer. Although I will say I backed them last week and they they helped me out. So thank you, Michigan State. This week, I'm going to go against them. Like, 19 points is, is a ton, so like you probably don't want to bet it anyways. But for the podcast, I'm going to pick Ohio State. Grant, what are you thinking? Yeah, I um, yeah. if I, if I actually had money on the line here, this is not a game that I would bet at all. Um, that haven't been said, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think Ohio State is the pick here. I just, you know, hey, Michigan State's had a good season, and I, I think they, they deserve credit for, for the good season that they've had. Um, I... I I do think Ohio State's probably about three touchdowns better than they are. Michigan State is has been pretty, you know, per the analytics, they've been pretty lucky this season to be nine and one at this point in time. Um, and Ohio State is just kind of the exact opposite of that. It's sort of a it's sort of a fluke that they've lost a game this year um, because really, you know, the Oregon and Nebraska games are the only are the only games this season in which they haven't compl- utterly destroyed the opposition. So. Um, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, this is this is an Ohio State line just because, you're right, Vegas is telling you, yeah, Ohio State is significantly better than these guys. And and we're coming off a week where they covered a similar line like this. The analytics, I think Michigan State and Purdue are really similar teams. And and Ohio State, I think, was, uh, a, what, what, like, what, what was a 20-point favorite last week, and they ended up winning, I think, by four touchdowns. Yeah, that's a great point. It was a 20-point line against Purdue, so I, I guess in theory – that might make you kind of like Michigan State because you probably think Michigan State's a better team than Purdue. But oh wait, not a second. really. Purdue beat Michigan State, right? Yeah, I think I think they're I think those two teams on a neutral field would probably each win five. So now you're uh, you're actually getting a point of value here with Ohio State. <laughs> maybe 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 not. Uh, all right, so we're both on Ohio State there. All right, this next one we're gonna go to the ACC, and this one's kind of interesting. Wake Forest back in the top ten. They had a. Uh, you know they they bounced back from their first loss last week. I think they beat NC State, I believe. Uh, so now Wake Forest is at nine and one. They're at Clemson, and Clemson's a four point favorite. 
and we haven't talked Clemson in a while. And there was points of this season where it was like, I we we can't bet Clemson. They can't move the ball. They can't score. And I don't know if it's changed. It makes me kind of think it has changed because now they're they're laying points against Wake Forest, who can score. Uh, but uh, man, I don't know much about these two teams. I'll be honest with you. I I kind of think I. I want to back Wake Forest in this game because I don't like Clemson, but Grant, maybe you know more. Has Clemson righted the ship? Are they better no, now? No, not really. Uh, they just still, the analytics still really like them uh, because their defense is good. They're really good defense. Um, no, I mean, their, their offense has not really gotten better at all. They're, they're still struggling to move the ball. So I, um, this one's tough because one, I, I just have, the analytical models have overrated Clemson the entire season. They just they just can't they just haven't gotten Clemson right. They just haven't. And that's that's across the board. That's SP plus, that's FPI, that's Sagarin. They they just they just haven't gotten it right with them. Um but then I feel like if 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 you, you know, betting principles tell you to take Clemson in this game. Oh yeah. Yeah, the the home team that's not ranked favored over a ranked road team you're right and because we're gonna and that's we're gonna come to another there's hey there's there's two other games like this and in this in this lineup that we're gonna pick and so chances are right that all three of them are probably not gonna are are probably not gonna go to the the unranked home favorite and so which ones like you got you got to kind of parse you know which ones are they gonna be i'm gonna i'm gonna take wake forest on this on this one just because Wake Forest, um, their their bid all season long has been their their really good offense. Their their quarterback's good. They move the ball really well. They throw the ball really well. Um, and really, Clemson just hasn't been able to move it really on anyone this year. That it doesn't matter. Good defense, bad defense. They've struggled on offense the entire season. And um, I think I think that's at least going to make this game close. And I, I just. Uh, I don't know. I, I I would I would much rather back Wake Forest and what's looking like a, a pretty fun magical year for Wake Forest. Um, and I just think this would probably be kind of a feather in their cap. Yeah, man, I really want to take Wake Forest as well, but man, you kind of got me thinking with that betting principle. And my thing is like, I know you said that Clemson struggled no matter what kind of defense they face, but I think Wake Forest's defense is actually it's bad. bad. It's really man. bad. And like Clemson, like, and, and and Clemson has been scoring some points of late. I mean they. They scored, you know, they scored 30 on Florida State. <laughs> you know, they scored 30 on Louisville. And then, I mean, UConn's just downright terrible. They put up 44 on UConn, but whatever. But the fact that they scored 30 against Florida State and Louisville makes me think, like, shouldn't they be able to put up, like, some points on Wake Forest? And, like, with Clemson's defense being pretty good, maybe they can hold them down. So I'm actually – I'm going to go the other way. I'm actually going to begrudgingly back Clemson. But I'm not feeling that strong about it. Uh, but yeah, um, we're going to be on the opposite side of that one. So this next game is pretty interesting. So Cincinnati's at home. Number five, Cincinnati. They're undefeated. They got to win out. We know that. They're 11 and a half point favorites over SMU. And after SMU, Cincinnati plays East Carolina, who's six and four. And it's at East Carolina. So Cincinnati's got this home game and then East Carolina on the road and then the AAC championship game. If there's, you know, whatever I know, I think, I think SMU is going to be a trendy pick this week, at least taking the points. So it makes me kind of think maybe I should go against that with this, but 
uh, unless, like, did I, maybe I'm crazy. Did I hear something? Is Tanner Mordecai, is he hurt or something? Or is he not going to play? Or That I, I really uh, don't, maybe know. I don't a, know about that. I'm going to, I'm going to look that up. I think this is the, I think I think this is the hardest one of, of these of these uh, this lineup of games. I, I don't I don't really know on this one because Cincinnati's been pretty sketchy the last month or so. Um, I and but so is SMU. SMU hasn't been great basically since uh, they've still been winning a bit, but they really haven't been very good at all since they beat TCU in September. They've been just been kind of eh. So. I don't know. I, I think I'm begrudgingly going to go with Cincinnati in this game, uh, just with it being their their last home game of the year. Um, them trying to make one more um, one more statement before the end of the season. I do know that they're. Um, I, I think SP Plus has them as 12 point favorites in this game. So I mean, you're not you're splitting hairs, obviously. Um, but I don't know. I I just I'll I'm going to go with the favorite at home. Okay, so I looked. At, so Mordecai's fine. Uh, he just got the conference player of the week uh, this past week. Um, they beat up on UCF. Um, yeah, I like the idea of Cincinnati trying to get you know like a, a good signature win because they're gonna they need to get this win and look you know look impressive, and then they're gonna have to you know they're gonna probably play Houston, I think, in the uh, the conference title game, and they haven't played Houston yet. And Houston maybe they'll be ranked or something. Uh, I don't know if because I think Houston's had a pretty good season. Uh, yeah, they're nine and one. Yeah, Houston's ranked right now. So, uh, yeah, Cincinnati still have to play for, but eleven and a half points. I kind of, I think I'm going to take the points. I'm going to take SMU with the points because, like, this could be kind of SMU's, to for lack of a better term, you've used it already. Super Bowl. I know they're eight and two, but I mean they have a chance to ruin Cincinnati's season. So I will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take them to keep it somewhat close. All right, so next up is Baylor. Number 11 Baylor is at Kansas State, and Kansas State is favored by a point. And so this is another one of those games you were referencing where there's an unranked home team against a ranked uh, opponent on the road, and the home team is ranked. And so the betting principal would say, Kansas State's the play here, Grant. I mean, Baylor coming off a huge emotional win over Oklahoma. Kansas State just kind of plugging along. They just got a nice win over. Uh, we just talked about the team. They West beat. Virginia. West Virginia, I think. Yeah, West. Ah, uh, man. This is tough. I know where you stand, and I, I, I think I'm kind of on your side. <sighs> yeah. I. I'll, I'll go K State, and I won't steal your thunder. I'll let, I'll let you pick now as well. But yeah. I'll go K State probably for a lot of the reasons why you're going to pick K State. Uh, I'm I'm going to go with Kansas State here. Um, one, I, I just think Kansas State's good. I think I think they're a good team. I think they're one of the uh, one of the best coach teams in the conference. Um, I've already said it numerous times. I think uh, Skylar Thompson is the is is the second best quarterback in this conference. Um, maybe the maybe the most consistent quarterback in this conference. And um, I I'm just I'm not. After watching Gary Bohannon the last month of the season, I'm not I'm not picking him against any any good coaching staff, any good defensive coaching staff. I'm just I'm just not. That guy sucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kansas State's. I mean, they've won four in a row. Um, Texas Tech, TCU, Kansas, West Virginia. 
I mean, you know how much I like Chris Kleiman, uh, Klanderman at the, at the defensive coordinator. I think he's a good coach too. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, man, J- Gary Bohannon just is not very good. But I mean, Baylor's. Yeah, I'm going to go K State, but Kansas State, good, also good run defense. I, I think yeah. they can probably limit Baylor a little bit in the run game. Um, and then, and I'm I'm telling you, man, Gary Bohannon is it just cannot throw the ball. Like when if if the other team knows he's going to throw, he, he I mean he's just downright terrible. And I you know it's um so I I I really like the the, the Kansas State team. And hey, I, I I do think if if OU does kind of want that playoff pipe dream still alive, I think Kansas State winning this game is 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 the best thing for OU. I I, I think I think it would be good if they if they had that if they had a nine and three Kansas State win on the road to add to their resume in that situation. I just don't know what Kansas State's doing on offense, man. I mean, they they didn't even get 300 total yards of offense against West Virginia. I just don't know if their offense is any good. Like, it can be good. But, I mean, and they won that game comfortably over West Virginia. It's just, it's, that scares me. I, you know, I'm not as high on Skylar Thompson as you are. I mean, I like him. He's a good player, but. I don't know, man. That Baylor defense, they're energized. I mean, are they going to have a letdown performance after the OU game? Maybe. Going on the road, maybe. Uh, but, heck, explosive plays were supposed to be something Baylor's defense give, gave up, and Oklahoma only got the one when the game was basically over. Can Kansas State's offense take advantage of it and get some explosive plays? I have uh, a feeling that they are going to get Deuce Vaughn matched up against one of those linebackers in the passing game pretty consistently and have a lot of success with it. Okay, finally, Oregon. Number three, Oregon is at 23, Utah. And this kind of goes back, you were saying briefly, hey, you know, Oklahoma still has a chance. They just need Oregon to lose a game. Well, this is a very losable game for Oregon because Utah is a three-point home favorite over Oregon. Uh, not quite the same principle because Utah is ranked. But, uh, man, our Utah pick for Pac-12, Grant, you brought it up a, co- a few weeks ago. It was, it was not dead. And boy, it's looking better and better. And and this would go a long way, I think. I think they would end up. Uh, they're in different sides of the conference, right? I think Utah is south and Oregon's north. So in theory, I don't. I don't know if the, a rematch in the Pac-12 title game could happen. I think it could. I mean, point. I think it but, might be. Uh, I think if Utah wins this game, I think that may be the most likely, likely thing that happens. Let me just check it out. But uh, what's your handicap on this one? Um, I, I, you know, I, this is a this is a game that pretty much all of the all, all the stat models they like Utah in this game because um, Oregon, outside of their win in Columbus in September, has been pretty sketchy this year. They've been very OU like in in all of their games outside of uh, of the game in Columbus against Ohio State. Uh, and Utah's just playing really well. Utah's been playing really well. Um, if Oregon's going to lose a game here in the regular season, I think this is clearly it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I like, I like Utah. Hey, there, there's, there's definitely kind of some, uh, some personal prejudice going on here too, just cause I don't like Oregon. Don't like them. Yeah, I think it's, it's fair. I mean, I, I think, uh, in order for us to be consistent, uh, in order for me to be consistent on my Utah pick, I got to pick Utah. Because that pick is still alive to win the Pac-12, and so I got to pick them to win this game, and I'm just going to fall on that crutch <laughs> here on the podcast. You're going into the, you know, I guess what is this week 12 of college football? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is uh, Utah must have figured out something with Cameron Rising. You know, we were all about Charlie Brewer, and then he ended up leaving, 
And Cameron Rising, I haven't seen Utah play really at all, but they must be doing something. And with Whittingham there, they're always going to play pretty decent defense. Although I'm irked by the the recent score. They gave up 29 at Arizona, but that could have been a classic look-ahead spot. We're on the road against a bad Arizona team. They got out of there with a win, and now they're going to play that home game against Oregon where they you know had that circled, I'm sure. So you could probably chalk up the Arizona performance as a classic look-ahead spot and full focus now for the Utes on Oregon. Cam Rising, former OU commit. Did you know that? I didn't know he committed to OU. I knew he was uh, – wasn't he at Texas or he, he committed to Texas or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was, uh, I believe – transfer from Texas. Um, and, and I could be wrong about this. I believe it was um, – so he decommitted from OU, committed to Texas, was only there for a year, and then he transferred uh, presumably to Utah. I can't I, – I don't – I'm not necessar- uh, necessarily sure. But I believe that would have been Tanner Mordecai's class. I think it was Tanner Mordecai who replaced Cam Rising as the, uh, as the quarterback in that 2018 class, 2017 class. There you go. Very interesting. All right, that's our picks. I'll go through uh, just real quick. I'll recap. On, so here's Grant's picks. He's going Ohio State minus the 19, Wake Forest plus the 4, Cincinnati minus the 11.5, Kansas State minus the point, and Utah minus the 3. I am on Ohio State, Clemson minus the 4, SMU plus the 11.5, and I am also on K-State, and I am also on Utah. All right, Grant, any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up on another long midweek podcast? Uh, no. I just I hope uh, hope we're all pleasantly surprised on Saturday morning. Uh, Saturday morning into early Saturday afternoon. With uh, I hope OU plays well. Um, but uh, if not, if they don't play well, then I'm going to you know, start uh, getting my mind right uh, to follow OU basketball, who I think is going to have a, ha- ha- have a pretty fun team this season. All right, I share all of those comments. I'm simpatico with you. So uh, that is it for today. We'll be back either on Sunday or Monday, depending on when we have a chance to record. And, of course, we'll have reaction from that OU-Iowa State game. Yeah, hopefully it's a a surprise, like, optimism, like we kind of felt after that Texas Tech game where they came out and they played the best game of the year. Hopefully it's similar to that feeling. That would be pretty cool. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.